Welcome, and thank you for tuning into Organ and the official podcast of Ology Research Group, exploring contemporary social issues through data, insights, and change. This month, President Trump declared a national emergency, which will allow him to move forward with building a wall in the southern border. Other recent and still active declarations of national emergencies include blocking property of people threatening peace, security, or the stability of Yemen, declaration of national emergency by reason of certain terrorist attacks, and proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. On this episode, we'll discuss the precedent setting of this national emergency in comparison to others declared by presidents over the last couple decades. We invite you to join our table. Let's discuss. Joining us from the East Coast, we have myself, Carl. And Jasmine. And recording from the West Coast, we have... Courtney! No Casey today. No Casey (laughs) today. Because he's too busy in Sedona. (laughs) Hiking. Oh, man. Courtney, take it. Cool. Um, So when we were kind of initially talking about this discussion, I was like, oh, man, here Trump goes again. Um, But after looking at some of the other state of emergencies that have been held, kind of just looking at the number itself, it looks like comparing Obama to even Trump, the numbers around the same. It's just as Carl was mentioning in the opening statement, it's what we're declaring the state of emergencies for. I think if we go back to 2010, um, when Obama had one, it was about com- combating Somali par- like pirates. And there's other things just to help from helping a community perspective. And I think they're mostly sanctions. So if you go to the Wikipedia page, let's say everything says sanctions. And then now we go back into February 15th, 2019. It's something that requires, that is categorized under a military purpose, which is something interesting to me because it's essentially saying that, or it feels like he's going around like the need for the checks and balances with Congress and he's kind of establishing his own thing by declaring a state of emergency to build this wall. And to me, I think it only emphasizes kind of the need maybe for increased checks and balances with kind of the president of the United States. But what's your opinion, Jasmine? Hmm. I, think, I mean, one of the things is that there, there's all these like funding government tricks that people know that they could do. So having this government shutdown has has been the longest in its history and it's also has been very irresponsible because people people they lose faith in our system and our government system and the fact that our congress should really be looking at ways of finding a solution to the problem and and this this border this wall this border wall is one of the big hot topics but there's um there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy about that. I was looking at um, the Arizona Daily Star, and there is a Strong Point Opinion Research Group, and they polled members in Arizona, in southern Arizona border, where 57% of the of the respondents they were polled and they said that they were they were very disappointed in the government shutdown. And they said that that it would have an impact in illegal immigration, and 
the poll asked the basically the respondents it was 1506 people that responded and their thoughts about what was happening and they felt that um 20 22% felt that expanding the wall would result in a major reduction in illegal migration into Arizona and roughly 2% of those surveys said that they didn't know whether a new border wall would have an impact on immigration and what i thought was interesting too from the from the survey was that the survey didn't ask people about their political affiliations so that so that was you, we don't really know what political affiliations people had that responded to this poll but nearly half of the respondents said that they believe that 49% um, international visitors overstayed their work or student visas, that 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 was a larger source, followed by the 20% who blamed like the smugglers of bringing people into um, into the different parts of like the desert. And 14% said that migrants seeking asylum, they were they were coming through like the ports of entry. So it's, it's really interesting, like, and these, these are, these are folks that actually live in the Southern Arizona border. So they have a sense of like, what's going on in these areas. Um, Cause I can't really, I don't, living in these communities, we don't know like those impacts that they're happening, but locals are, you know, they're, they're, they seem to be from this poll, they seem to be upset because they feel that this shouldn't be used as like shutting down the government and doing all these things should not be part of the the game. That's why I one of the the products of this is like not shutting it down and coming to a resolution because that would not be good, especially because this is like um, such a critical change and the way that our government is looking at shutdown as like a bargaining chip is seems to be irresponsible in a sense compared to other countries where. This is this is something that you know is part is, is part of like the members getting together and talking, but I don't know. It just speaks about how there's not really a lot of collaboration and people are using their power, like the president, to calling this a national emergency, and from there seeing what we could do. But I think I I feel that we've already spent a lot of money in border patrol agents. If we're if we were you know, to see in the past 10 to 15 years how much Border Patrols we've actually hired and trained and our, you know, how much that budget costs. And I'm a firm believer that if we want to know how our country is spending the, our national security budget, like, we need to know how our country is spending it. And that's when you really know, like, what the agenda are for people that are running our country. Because if this is where all the money is going then we need to really make sure that we understand like those consequences as well. So those are just some thoughts that, that come to mind. Yeah, I think it does expose the fact that just get pushing your agenda through can be solely done by an individual if you can kind of work through the different loopholes. I think um, the youngest congresswoman, what is her name? Her name is Alexandria I can't say her last last name, but her acronym. Yeah, there you go. Um, she had this video that was going around that was being shared and kind of where she was poking holes at how 
like the Congress people and like all the different committees have to go through all these different guidelines and thresholds and rules and things. And when they asked how it applied to the president of the United States, they're like, oh, well, he's held to a higher power, so they don't necessarily apply to him. And I think that's something that I would say normally isn't challenged on a day-to-day, or at least it's not publicized to a certain degree until recently. So I think it calls for a time of change in terms of how some of the structure is set up because it allows people to have individual ideas and not have collaborative ideas versus like working together as a country instead of kind of like letting someone rule purely from what they believe in their ideals are. Mm -hmm. Carl, what do you think? Well, as I'm looking at the list of historical national emergencies that have been declared since they started in 1979, it kind of seems as though a lot of these issues are things that you would think the president would get support for. So if it's the case that national emergencies are declared so that the president can utilize his power to kind of bypass the collective uh consent or the the, uh, consensus from um, other representatives in government. I mean, it's kind of, I don't know, it kind of seems like looking at the recent ones, a lot of them are about weapons of mass destruction or like um, prohibiting transactions with terrorists or, you know, blocking certain property of people who may have linkages to like terrorist organizations or countries that have had like recent turmoil like Syria, Iraq, for example, Belarus, the Democratic Republic of Congo. So I find it, you know, like strange um, because at one point I do think that I remember that there was a lot of support for building a wall at one point. So I didn't think that declaring a national emergency was necessary if that's something that he wanted to do but i think it also sets like a very kind of dangerous precedent too because on the one hand if um, protecting the borders of america is so important there's also a border in the north right (laughs) we don't just have a southern border we have a border with canada as well so um, if that's really the case you know then why not build a, a wall there too but I think it's mostly about what's sexy to talk about you know, among certain people who share like a similar value and also whatever was promised on the campaign trail. Because this kind of sets Trump up for 2020 for re-election. If he can go back and say, hey, guys, remember that I said I was going to do these three, four things? I did it. And if you re-elect me again, I'm going to do the next four things that I'm going to promise you right now. So... I think it's kind of like a like a strategic move to some degree. And I don't know, I think there's, you know, a, a, a probability that he can use that on the campaign trail for re-election. I agree. I think it's kind of just him fulfilling his promises, which is, I guess, it's good for him and him trying to keep his word. But at what at what cost does the promises kind of like that are made? Is it going to hurt the rest of the country to a certain degree? I think when everyone saw him getting elected, they were like, oh, yeah, well, don't worry. When Obama tried to do stuff, he was never able to push anything through because checks and balances, the Republicans own whatever. 
And then I think when Trump went to office, everyone's like, oh, well, don't worry. Nothing really happens in politics. There's not going to be any changes that are going to happen. And he has figured out a way, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which I think to my earlier point just questions the structure of how some of these rules should apply. Like, shouldn't the main leader of our country have more restrictions or at least have more things that he has to be held to because he is kind of this quote-unquote person of power. Because um, I don't see why just because your title is higher, you would get a freebie. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that goes against what the foundation of our country is made off of to a certain degree. Right. And he, then just, he could like, also, just He could also be using his... Um, his BATNA would be that he knows where the money is being allotted, like what what funds are coming from. So some of the talks are him using the defense, the Department of Defense funding. So that could be funding to use to con- do construction on the wall. And that's also our military construction as well money, um, which if, if he's looking at money that's not spent, that could also be something... And, it's all, he's a businessman. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who are not up to date on negotiations terminology, BATNA is the best yeah. alternative. <laughs> the best alternative to a negotiated agreement, BATNA. That's the word mm-hmm. of the day. <laughs> and just kind of going along with the point that I was trying to make, you know, we, the way that it's presented in the media right now, it, you would think that this is like Trump's first national emergency, but there have been three others, actually. His first was on December 20th, 2017, and he declared a national emergency with respect to blocking the property of people involved in serious human rights abuse or corruption imposed sanctions on the Myanmar general for his role in persecuting Rohingya Muslims. And then September 12th, 2018, there was a national emergency with respect to imposing sanctions um, in the event of foreign interference in a U.S. election uh, attempted to prevent meddling with the 2018 midterm elections amid the ongoing investigation into Russian interference. And then before this most recent one about the southern border, November 27, 2018, there was another um, with respect to blocking property of people contributing to the situation in Nicaragua. Um, in response to violence and the Ortega's regime, regime's systematic dismantling and undermining of democratic institutions and the rule of law that constitutes an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States. So it kind of felt like since that was a that, that was something that was already like plugged, I guess, into Central America, this was kind of like step two. I, I kind of see it that way. Hmm. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So what do you what think? What do you think that... step three would be? <laughs> I mean, I think step three would be imposing um like a like stricter um immigration policies. I mean they they've I've already seen some uh immigration policies change and this I I think might even predate Trump, but um or maybe not, but there was a, a visa, the H-1B visa, I think it is, to keep um, international students employed um, or to offer them like a, like a work visa from students who, who go to colleges. And there used to be like a minimum salary, if I remember correctly, and don't quote me totally, but um, at one point the salary, the, the minimum salary that you can offer these students is, was $50,000. 
you know, which is pretty easy for a lot of employers to reach, right? Because if you're a college educated and you want to offer a graduate a, a, a good salary, you can offer them 50 if you want to keep them. But they've they've doubled that to 100,000. So what it does is the minimum salary to offer uh, an international student for them to stay is now 100,000. So that kind of like re- reduces it and makes it harder for companies to try to um, keep talent that they want to keep that who are international students. So it kind of discourages employers from hiring international students. So it reduces the probability of them being able to have a life here in the U.S. So I think we might in the future see more policies like that that might, um, you know, I don't think there's going to be like a massive ban, like no immigrants ever. But I think there would be like a systematic um, changing of numbers here and there that would make it very Mm -hmm. difficult for people who would like to consider uh, living in America to actually reside here. And that also will have a ripple effect, too. And we we saw it in... um, in like Germany, for example, with the Syrian conflict, where they were more welcoming with accepting migrants into their country in comparison to the U.S. and other European nations. And I think we'll also see some of that, too, uh, with migrants potentially resettling in Canada. They might be a little mm-hmm. bit more welcoming. And I think, um, you know, especially for those who are undergoing the conflict in Venezuela right now with a lot of Venezuelan people leaving their home country, looking for a new place uh, to start, you know, uh, their lives and in a, in a safe country where they don't have to worry about violence or, you know, any sort of political violence. Uh, you know, who knows, we may see Canada open up their doors to those migrants. So just to be clear, it's 100K if you're international and you need to hire them as your base salary. Yeah, minimum salary. So like anyone incoming, I guess. So any like entry level people probably wouldn't be able to find a job. Yeah, and I think that was the point. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. That filters out a lot of people. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they can also do things like I know the application, for example, for the dreamers um, Uh was like four hundred dollars. So they can do things like make the application more expensive, for instance. Uh So one of the one of the one of the reasons why um, and I saw this data point somewhere, um, but one of the reasons why a lot of uh, eligible dreamers didn't apply was because of the cost. So it was four hundred bucks. So they could easily like double or triple the price of the application fee in order to mm-hmm. deter people from from applying to or they can deny more applications. They can set quotas. So it's kind of like they can pro- they can, on the one hand, provide the illusion of a pathway to citizenship, but also like cut everybody at a certain point for a number of reasons. Mm. It kind of just increases the wage or increases the wealth gap even more, no? Because, like, people just can't do anything right. anymore. Like, only the rich people have the, like, ability to do certain things, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah. Not kind of, but it is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Kind of scary at the same time. Yeah. But I also think the the market and, like, the labor market will kind of react to that because... There are tons of employers that benefit from being able to have um, 
people who might not be documented in you know working for them so Mm -hmm. there might be potentially like a, a a spike in the number of employers that offer like cash jobs too um and we might see like more apps off uh, contributing to like the gig economy for example so like mm-hmm. you know maybe with like task rabbits naga job things like that you'll be able to look for jobs that offer um cash and you'll be able to to find some more work there just to kind of like you know stay um away from the radar i guess so yeah. i i think that you you know you have laws that are imposed and then society reacts a certain way in response to that policy and the economy works the same way too and i think we'll will respond to to this national emergency yeah should do that yep well we're now at the 21 minute mark in the episode do you all want to move on to the bottom line yeah sure cool would it be okay if i take it yes all right. Sure. Take it away, Carl. <laughs> so I'll take the bottom line question. Bottom line question of this evening. Recognizing that historical uh, declarations of national emergency have been with respect to um, countries that are known for terrorism, for instance, or political instability, things of that nature. What do you think are like the social consequences? And, you know, I mean, particularly of states that are along the southern borders like what do you predict is going to happen while this wall is being constructed and after it's up jasmine Hmm. i i would say i mean some of the things is that just come to mind one in particular is that i remember it wasn't when trump was like one of his campaigns, he was saying that he wants to make Mexico pay for the construction of the border wall. But now, since we're finding that it's basically like the focus has changed and now it's like U.S. tax dollar money to finance this. Um, so it's it's going to affect all of us before, because there is like no no particular law like that has passed, especially for for trade agreements that would make countries like Mexico pay for for this wall. So I think in in that capacity, the towns, the southern towns in Arizona or Nevada, um, even Texas, like all these towns that that border these, it's going to, they're definitely going to see more of an increase in, in crime, I would say, because it's like when you make something illegal like people want people will find a way because it's like the prices will inflate so if the prices will inflate then people are going to be willing it's going to make it people that are going to come into the country are going to be people that have the money or will end up doing something to sacrifice all that they have just to be here Mm -hmm. so i think it's gonna it's there might be like a like a reverse like a reversal of just conflict of happening because then people are going to do whatever they can to come here. And that's also going to create more crime. And in a sense, it's going to be more, more money for people that can actually manage these operations. And it would probably include people that know, know the system. Mm -hmm. Okay. Courtney. 
Uh, I think it creates sense. To your point, a lot of the national states of emergencies were against countries that are like historically had just some sort of terrorist affiliation or anything like that. Um, and I think we've seen our reaction to that type of thing is just an increase in more so racial bias to a certain degree. So I think it what it does is it isolates certain demographics from the rest of the population, which we're already starting to see a little bit more of. May it be because we have social media now, maybe because there's more press coverage, but I still think it's something that's becoming more prominent all the same, that it would create kind of a divide to a certain degree because you have these heavily populated areas with people from Mexico or from a Mexican descent, and it kind of isolates them to a certain degree because they're cutting off these people and people tend to generalize. So I don't think it's great for the country, especially since, especially the way that it's going about as a state of emergency instead of like a compromise that was put together by both parties within the government. I know at the same time that doesn't always turn into a resolution or a solution in any way, shape or form, but I don't think it will bode very well because after like the national park thing, when the government was closed down and people destroyed it, my faith in humanity isn't extremely high in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess we'll wait and see. I think when America's attacked as a whole, we come together. But when we're not being attacked as a whole to fight someone else, we fight amongst ourselves, which is kind of a trend, I would say, that's mm-hmm. been happening. Well, that's very deep. <laughs> well, my, oh, answer, <laughs> yeah, my answer is that I think that while this wall is being constructed that uh, for obvious reasons dhs will become a popular employer and they will potentially you know maybe even recruit lots of um young um entry-level professionals who may be more willing to commit long term to the department of homeland security so i think that that's something that we'll definitely see and that way they'll be able to you know, potentially save on cost because then you won't have to hire people um, who are more experienced and might, you know, have been around for a long time, like more expensive talent. And I also think that under like recognizing that this wall is coming, that there's going to be a a greater influx of uh, migrants coming into the U.S., kind of like a like a panic recognizing like, hey, this is our last chance. And um, I think that this administration is going to respond harshly to that. So we might see that over the next couple of months. And then um, once the wall is actually built, um, I I think that there's going to be a lot of um, different type of immigration policies put in place that we're going to consider to be unfair and racist. And I was actually really... Um, confident in the fact that i thought that in 2016 that there was going to be an amnesty i was sure of it i was like hey this is 20 years after the amnesty that was declared in 1986 it would be perfect you know if you really are if you really want to try to get um you know i to, to get people who are not here legally quote unquote um you know and identify them then through some sort of amnesty program 
where you would have to require some sort of like registration in order in order to get the naturalization status then you know a lot of people will come to that but you know i was a little disappointed to know that there was no amnesty because my parents were actually a product of the amnesty in 86 um so i was hoping for that but it didn't happen but i think i mean it should be interesting and what what happens when there's like one political ideology that strengthens over time it kind of empowers another so i think whoever um whoever is going to be president after trump will kind of be the one to like dismantle all of these kind of um seemingly anti um immigrant policies that he's building up and that's what i think and now we'd like to turn to our listeners do you have any ideas for what you'd like to hear in the show make sure to drop us a line at infoologyresearchgroup.org and check out our website to learn about our awesome services if you're interested in donating to our cause ology is a irs 501c3 nonprofit corporation so all donations are tax deductible until next time